morning we're, we're continuing in our Nehemiah series. How many of you were with us last week and enjoyed the message last week? How many of you were like, Lord Jesus, I need a burden. I better get myself a burden. And so last week we had a great time. We started our series in Nehemiah and we're, we're talking about, and the goal for this series is to, to get us to build beyond ourselves. That's my, that's my main point with this whole series is just to get us to live beyond ourselves and to build something bigger than ourselves. Okay, so everything that you hear me saying today has that, with, has that as the backdrop of what I'm saying. I want you to live beyond yourself and build beyond yourself. Your next miracle is waiting for you to get beyond yourself. Come on. Your fulfillment is waiting for you to live beyond yourself and live for somebody else. Everything that you need is waiting on you. You're not waiting on it. Amen, Pastor. That was good. Well, today we're going to continue with Nehemiah. And the title of our message today is A Faith That Overcomes. How many of you might need a little faith that overcomes at times? How many of you had to overcome something this week? (laughs) You ain't the only one. So we've been talking about Nehemiah. And we've been talking about how Nehemiah was... And, and the children of Israel during this time were in exile. In other words, the children of Israel, the Jews, were scattered all over the place. Uh, they had no home. They had no city. The, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed or badly damaged. The gates had been torn down. The city was in ruins, and the people were scattered all over the place. And so we pick up the story last week where we find Nehemiah is a cupbearer. And if you don't know what a cupbearer is, he's simply the person that's next to the king. He's one of the king's most trusted servants. And he basically drinks and eats anything before the king does to make sure that there's no poison in it so that somebody couldn't assassinate the king. You see, they didn't have long-range missiles. They didn't have long-range rifles in those days. If they want to kill you, they had to get next to you to kill you so the kings would surround themselves with people that would protect him. And so a a cupbearer didn't come around every day. You follow me? Because you've got to trust the man that's got your life in his hands. Come on, somebody. Right? And so the cupbearer is who Nehemiah is. And so Nehemiah is, I mean, even though the, the, the Jews are scattered, all of his people are scattered and they're in exile, Nehemiah finds himself in a sweet spot. He's in modern-day Iraq, and, and, and at this time it was Persia, and he was serving the king of Persia called Xerxes. And he's this cupbearer. And Nehemiah, everything's going good. I mean, listen, the cupbearer lives in the palace. <laughs> Hello. The cupbearer eats what the king eats and drinks what the king drinks. He hangs around with the king's people. Nehemiah had it going on. He was in a good spot. How many of you are there today? You guys, man, I'm just in a sweet spot. I mean, like, business is going good. Everybody likes me. I didn't see any hands. <laughs> Everything's going fine in Nehemiah's life until a couple of his buddies show up. Nehemiah's hanging out with his friends and he says, how's, how's our people doing? Just a general simple question. How's our people doing? You know, today it would sound like, how's your mom and them? My mom and them's okay? How's your kids? Your kids all right, baby? Huh? That's what it would sound like today. He asked a simple question, and he had no idea the response he was going to get and how it was going to affect his entire rest of his life. On a simple question, he simply said, how are our people? And his friends dropped their heads down, and they said, Nehemiah, is not good. Our people are scattered. They're exiled. They're all over the place, Nehemiah. They have no place to call home. They have no walls for protection. They have no gates to keep the enemy out. They're starving. They're in bad shape. The city's torn down. The people are all over the place, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, not knowing that he was going to get that kind of an answer, breaks. The Bible says he received a burden. So much so that, watch this, it took him off of his feet. His legs got weak. The Bible says that he sat and wept. For days, he mourned, fasted, and prayed over this burden he received from God. Man, he just asked a question. 
right? So be careful what you ask. You might end up with a burden like Nehemiah got. And so last week we talked about this burden and what do we do with the burden. And one of the last points from last week, and I want to remind you this, is that we need to move into action with this burden. You need to pray over the burden. You need to walk with the burden. You need to go forth with the burden. You need to trust the burden that God's given you. But it burden needs to move you into action. It's because, you see, when you get a burden, it gets inside of here. Come on. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of burdens that maybe you have. Maybe you have a burden for foster kids. Man, that's a great burden. Maybe you have a burden for women that are abused. That's a great burden. Maybe, maybe it's a burden for new believers and you want to disciple people and you want to see somebody that comes to know Jesus Christ start to grow. That's a great burden. Maybe you got a burden to teach kids about the love of God and to be a father or a mother to kids. That's a great burden. That's burdens. Come on, somebody. And it's not reserved for the super spiritual or the elite in Christ. It's reserved for every one of us. Every one of us is qualified for a burden. In fact, I said last week that when God created you, he created you to fill a burden. A specific burden. You're the only you there is. You got to get that. There's no more like me. Come on, somebody. Praise God. But there's no more like you. Even twins aren't exactly the like. Right? And so one of the lies we talked about last week is that as Christians, sometimes we believe that these great stories like Nehemiah's story is is set aside or or reserved for only like pastors and leaders and people that read their Bible every day. And listen to me, I've believed that lie, so I know that some of you are believing that lie. But here's the cool thing about Nehemiah is Nehemiah was sitting in, if he'd be sitting here today, you wouldn't know anything different about him. He was an average old Joe. He just made, he just happened to have a good job. Right? The Bible doesn't tell us that Nehemiah was super spiritual. It doesn't tell us that he was anything special. He wasn't a prophet and he wasn't a priest, but he got a burden from God and he went and did something for God. Come on, somebody. So today we're going to pick the story up. We're going to talk about what happens after Nehemiah receives this burden from God and how he goes forth and he starts to build and he starts to do something about this burden. We're going to talk today about how Nehemiah moved into action. And as believers, when God gives us a burden and we start to move into action, let me give you a little warning sign. Not everything's going to go fine. Come on. In fact, everything might be going fine before the burden. But after the burden, the birds might not sing no more. And Nehemiah faced resistance. We don't like to face resistance, do we? I mean, listen, I'll be honest with you. The reason I don't go work out is because it's resistance. Come on, somebody. There's no resistance to Bluebell. The hardest resistance to Bluebell is getting the lid off, right? I mean, and I've learned secrets to make it easier to eat. You just wrap it in a Walmart bag and put it in a freezer and it keeps it soft. See what you learn when you come to church? No resistance to Bluebell, but when you go to the gym, man, they got some resistance. The reason I quit going to the gym is because I quit looking like the biggest guy there. Nehemiah faced some resistance. There's a couple of guys around the area that he was rebuilding Jerusalem. One guy named Sanballat and the other one named Tobiah. And they start to to throw threats at, at Nehemiah when he starts to rebuild. And Nehemiah responds accurately. Nehemiah stands firm and trusts this burden that God's given him. And he keeps on going. And so that's where we're going to pick the story up today. And so... I know all of us, we love great stories like this. Stories of Nehemiah, honestly, are easy to preach. They're easy to preach. They're almost preached for you. You follow me? Because you're just telling a story. And we love great stories, don't we? 
How many of you heard the story of Lauren Hill? Lauren Hill, the basketball player. Lauren Hill was, she came out of high school as, as she was like runner-up to the, 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 the uh, best ath- female athlete of the nation is basically what she was. And she goes to college, and, and when she gets to college, she gets diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. This just recently happened. And so her goal is to play basketball, to play one game. And so the, the, they make some arrangements, move the schedule up, because the doctors say, baby, you ain't got much time. So she plays her first game. She's got an inoperable cancer tumor in her brain. And if you see pictures of her, her face is swollen, and it, it reminds me of what my mom went through. And, and she's, she plays her first game. She scores the first two points of the game, and she scores the last two points of the game. But she led this charge to raise money for a, a charity, a charity to research pediatric cancer, to basically research this cancer that she has. And so that was her goal. So she's, she's got a, a life-threatening disease. And she's going out in a flame of glory. Come on, that's what it looked like. She passed away two weeks ago. But before she passed away, she raised right at $1.5 million for that research of the specific disease that she died from. And so, man, we hear stories like that. And right, it's, it just kind of gets you at your core, doesn't it? It kind of goes, man. And some of you are sitting here going, you know what? I want to go out like that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I pray to God, Lord, give me the burden without the disease. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Lord, I want to be passionate for you. I want to go out in a flame of glory for a long time. I don't want it because I got some disease going to take my life in two months. Right? But if that's the case, then let's go. So we love stories like that. But, but then the reality hits us and we go, okay, so what, how, how do I... How do I have that kind of willpower? How do I get that kind of faith? How do I kind of just get that oomph? I don't know how to get that. Anybody like that? Anybody ever go, man, why can't I be like that? Maybe you ever tried to muster up something like that and it just didn't work. I want to tell you why that's hard for us. Because we beat ourselves up because we can't stir it up. And here's the big challenge that we all face. Because listen to me, God wants to give you a burden that is bigger than you. If you got a burden that you can see yourself fulfilling, that's not a God burden. If you've got a burden that gives you the old shoots, that's a God burden. Uh, The kind of burden that says, man, Lord, you tripping. What's the challenge we face? Fear. That's what we face is fear. You know what fear is? Fear is self-preservation. I'm going to preserve myself. I'm going to preserve my reputation. I'm going to preserve my finances. I'm going to preserve my talents and abilities. I'm not going to extend myself beyond what I think I can do. I'm not going to risk I'm not going to take a chance. I'm not going to step out and do something crazy for God, right? Self-preservation. It's fear. We get afraid when we put ourselves at risk. But let me tell you something. You can't live by faith and eliminate risk at the same time. But here's the deal. Jesus can help you with your unbelief. He can help you with self-preservation. He can help you with your fear. I want to show you a story in Mark chapter 9. Many of you know this story. It's about the little boy that was demon-possessed. Remember the story? He would go into convulsions and have seizures and all these things. And he'd been going through this his whole life. And the father brings the boy to to Jesus' disciples. And he says, can you pray for my son? Can you help him? And the disciples, man, they start going to town on this little boy. I mean, they're praying, they're believing, they're casting out devils. All of a sudden, nothing's working. And Jesus walks up and he sees, a, he sees a big old crowd and he sees things going on. And he walks in the middle of the crowd and he goes, what's going on? Watch what the father says. Chapter 9, verse 22. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. <laughs> Did you get that? 
I mean, is this Jesus he's talking to somebody? Come on. Jesus walks up, and the, and the father looks up at Jesus. He goes, would you have mercy on us, and would you help my son if you can? I would imagine Jesus was a little bit offended. <laughs> In fact, if you see his response, look at what he says. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, and then he says this, anything is possible if a person believes. Underline that word, anything. You're going to need that one day. The father instantly cried out. He said, I do believe. Watch this. But help me with my unbelief. It's kind of confusing. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. You see, as a Christian, as a believer in God, in Jesus, we can believe things about Jesus, and we can still carry unbelief in our heart. Come on. Just because you don't have a burden and you're not, you're not willing to risk or step out and do something great for God doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It just means that you have unbelief coexisting with your belief. Right? Come on, you know how it is. It's like the first time you got on the high diving board as a teenager and all your friends jumped off. And you believed that it was safe because they all lived. Right. But when you got up there, your knees got a little weak and you were trying to hold your reputation and be brave. And you're adjusting your drawers and you're kind of making and just trying to buy some time. And you like, and you got the sweats. And and then what happens? You either jump or you go back down the ladder. Right. You believed, but you had unbelief and it scared you. It kept you from. Come on, you ever did one of these? Where you kind of went and you went, oh, nope, stop. that's funny huh but that's where some of us are today (laughs) we're standing on the edge of a breakthrough we're standing on the edge of doing something great for God we're standing on the edge of a Nehemiah story and we're kind of going and listen to me I hope you came to church like that today because this big bald headed sucker is going to push you off the diving board amen I know you want to believe. I know you want to step out for God. I know you want to do things like Nehemiah is doing. I know you want to see the lost be found. I know you want to see the dead come to life. I know you want to build beyond yourself. I know that. And I believe that about you. But there's this little thing called unbelief that we're dealing with. And we're struggling with it. And it's, it's caught up in self-preservation. And we're scared to unpreserve ourselves. Right? We're scared to just... Open up and go. So let me give you four keys how to overcome unbelief. Number one, faith starts with the word of God. Faith starts with the word. Number one, faith starts with the word. You can't step out into anything that God calls you to step out into if you don't have faith. Faith is your starting point. Faith is what you stand on. Faith is what you move from. It's your launching board. Come on, somebody. It's your springboard. You got to have faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from the word of God. So if you're here today and you're you're thinking right now, well, I I guess I got a faith problem. It just must be a faith problem. Listen to me. That's okay. I just want to give you this little insight. If you got a faith problem, You need to open up your eyes because you probably got a word problem. It's pretty simple. Don't let the devil twist it up and think that you're make you think that you're broken and faithless and useless and all these. It's not that complicated. It's very, very simple. If you got a faith problem, you got a word problem. How do you fix the faith problem? You get in the word. Right. Ain't nobody stopping you from the word. But you last time I checked, it's still legal in America to read your Bible. Right. Nobody's stopping you but you. You got as much word in you as you want. Love you. You got a faith problem, you got a word problem. So Nehemiah finds himself with this burden and he's weeping and crying and praying and fasting 
for days. And the, and the Bible shows us his prayer. And I want you to see something in Nehemiah's prayer. Chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. This is Nehemiah in the middle of his prayer. He says this to God. While he's praying, he's praying these words to God. He says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. What is Nehemiah doing? He is praying the word of God. I, you need, you need, I need to let you in on this. You can pray God's words back to him. In fact, I think he gets a little tickled sometimes when we come back at him with his word. Right? See, we get offended as parents when the kids come at us and go, oh, dad, but you said we couldn't text while we're driving. Shut up and text that for me. <laughs> right? But I'm glad they got it. Come on, somebody. That means they were paying attention. It tickles my heart. Right? I think when we go to God and we pray his word, Lord, you said, I think sometimes he's waiting for us to do that. Maybe that's why the Bible says we can come to the throne room with boldness. Because he wants us to be confident believers. Confident in his word. Confident in his power. Confident in his love for us. You don't ever need to go to God like this, like this guy in Mark did. If you can. Don't go to God like that. Lord, you said, come on, listen, when money gets tight around my house, Malachi, baby, I'm quoting Malachi. Lord, you said, if I get too bold and I go, <laughs> we, we still good. <laughs> Love you, God. Right? I don't want to get too crazy. But Nehemiah is praying the word. He's not reading the Bible. He's praying what he already has in his spirit. Oh, you got to get this today. You better wake up because you got to get this. You can't fight anything if you ain't got a weapon. You can't fix anything if you ain't got a tool. Come on, somebody. You've been beat up too long. You know why you're beat up? Because you ain't got nothing to fight back with. Nehemiah didn't open the Bible and pray the words. It was in his heart. It was in his spirit. The Bible says that how does a man cleanse himself from sin? By hiding God's word in his heart. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. How do I have victory with the word? Why? Why the word, pastor? Why the word? Because you need the word. Because the enemy's got a word. It's the same thing Jesus faced in the desert. The enemy had a word. Oh, he got a lot of words. Right? I mean, listen to me. If you go all day long listening to the enemy saying you're a sucker, you a punk, you are no good, scab on the bottom of a boat, you ain't nothing but a catfish or a hound dog or whatever else he's telling you, right? If you go to all day long listening to that, you better have some word in you. You better have some word in you. Why, pastor? So that you can live victorious. Why, pastor? So that you can speak the truth to other people. Why, pastor? So that you can defeat the enemy. Why, pastor? So you can fix the broken things that God runs you into. You can't do it if you ain't got a tool or a weapon. Amen? Faith starts with the word. Jesus had to fight with the word. Meshav, Jesus had to fight with the word. You're going to have to fight with the word too. Romans 10, 17 says that so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Hebrews eleven six. you got to get this verse. Boy, this one here, slap your mama. This one says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Oh, you better get some faith, you. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. 
Oh, you know what that says to me? That says when I'm walking around faithless and depleted or defeated, that I'm not pleasing God. I'm not pleasing God when I'm walking around faithless and who and boudin, everybody's against me. God ain't pleased when I'm feeling sorry for myself. Right? He's pleased when I got faith. What does faith do to me, Pastor? Faith is like a good shot of steroids. Faith will make you lift things you never thought you could lift before. Faith will make you walk through buildings you never thought you could walk through. Faith will make you stand up to people you never thought you could stand up to. Faith will intimidate the people that have been intimidating you your whole life. You've got to get you some faith. Amen? You've got to have faith. Nehemiah had faith. He got a burden from God and he had faith. What did he do with his faith? He prayed over it. He prayed over the word of God. He stirred up his faith. He stirred it up. He got the burden. He cried. It put him on his butt. And he, he does something about it. He gets up and he starts praying the word of God. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew he was going to need it to do what God called him to do. You see, your faith today is not always just for today. Sometimes it's for tomorrow. And what you're going to face tomorrow. Amen? Number two, faith always encounters resistance. It always encounters resistance. Anytime you step out for God, all the hell's breaking loose to come against you and stop you. Any person in the Bible that you ever read about that steps out in faith and tries to do something incredible for God, they meet resistance head on. And let me tell you something, resistance comes, resistance comes in many different forms. It comes in a spiritual form where you will go under spiritual attack and the enemy starts attacking your mind and he starts attacking your insecurities and you start dealing with this self-preservation and this unbelief. And you start going, I can't do it. There's no way. No, I can't do that. That's impossible. No, man, I'll never amount to that. No, that ain't going to happen. No, it just won't work. Resistance. Pastor, how you know? It comes in many different forms. You're going to face resistance. Every time I've ever stepped out in faith, I've faced resistance. Sometimes resistance comes in the form of people. Sometimes it's even people that really love you. Was it 1999 when God called us? After Virginia was born? In 2001... Cheryl and I had been coming to a Bible study in Jennings. And on our way home one Sunday afternoon, God told me, he said, go find Bubba, ask him what he needs and help him. Many of you heard this story. What God said to me in that moment was, Jamie, I want you to sell everything you got, pack your bags up, and I want you to move to Jennings and be a part of that church. That's what he said. And I want you to go help Pastor Bubba. And I was like, first resistance was in my mind. First thing I told God was, Lord, you got to say that again. Well, he did. I said, okay, now you got to tell my wife. <laughs> he did. So I go home. I was working for my best friend's dad. I was much like Nehemiah was in a good spot. I'd be making good money right now. I went to my, my best friend. I said, dude, I'm leaving. So what do you mean? I said, God told me to move to Jennings. My best friend in the whole world to this day said these very same words to me. God, don't speak to us like that. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. My grandmother, who raised me, looked me square in the eyes and said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Your grandfather did this to us. He drug us all around Texas and all around Louisiana, and we never settled down anywhere. You're doing the same thing your grandfather did. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. Michelle, that was some resistance. 
Let's see, if your best friend and your grandma tell you that you're making a mistake, I remember once <laughs> the pressure was so hard, the resistance was so bad, I got up from, from the dinner table. Now, you know this was God. I got up from the dinner table, somebody. Come on. I mean, my wife can cook. You don't get up from the dinner table unless you're going to get some mo, right? I got up from the dinner table, left my hot meal on the table. Lord, that was God. I jumped on my little four-wheeler, and I went out into the woods, and I cried my eyes out to God. I said, Lord, I can't handle this pressure. I know what you told me, but I know what they're saying. Lord, if this is you, say it again. <laughs> he said it again. Two weeks later, we put our house up for sale and we moved. I'm glad I didn't listen to those people. I love them today. Me and my best friend, we're still best friends. I love him dearly. But, man, I'm glad I didn't listen to him. Because the things that happened after we packed those bags and put that house up for sale, You never know what's on the other side. So Nehemiah takes off and he, he gets the king's blessing. The king says, go. I mean, that's a big deal. That's like, that's like President Obama saying to his top secret service guy, go. Right? Go, go rebuild the walls. And he blesses him. He gives him a letter of authority and gives him permission to, to travel back and forth and all these things. So Nehemiah goes and he starts to rebuild. And watch this in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and, and Gershon, the, a, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us. And they said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah is facing resistance that all of us face when people start to question the decisions that you make. Because you see, when God tells you to do something, you got to make a decision and you got to move into action. And when you do that, that's going to affect the people around you. And they may start asking questions that may help with the resistance. Right? Right? Nehemiah had the authority and the permission of the king. But more importantly, he had the authority of God. <laughs> he had the authority of God. You see, when God tells you to do something, he gives you his authority. He gives you his promise. He gives you an army of angels to go with you. He's already working before you. Come on, somebody. Faith is not trusting your circumstances. It's putting your hope and confidence in God. Faith is a muscle. It grows from resistance. If you don't exercise faith, make sure you get flimsy in the spirit, right? Resistance, you got to get this. Resistance doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. This is a big one. Because as believers, when we move towards this God vision or this God burden that he gives us, we start to move and we face resistance. We start questioning ourselves. Oh, well, is this God? Oh, this can't be God. This isn't going right. Oh, no, this don't feel right. This is a little painful. Oh, God, I don't feel good in my tummy. Oh, something's wrong. This can't be God. Oh, I'm just going to go back. You see, that's what the children of Israel did when they left Egypt. They got a little tough in the desert. They faced a little resistance. Instead of saying, because God was providing food from heaven, literally, and, and, and he was leading them at night, and all these things, bringing water from rocks, they're seeing, they're, they're eating miracles and drinking miracles every day. And what do they say? I want to go back to Egypt. It's too hot out here. It's too tough. It's too hard to be a Christian today. You know, you know what the government's going to do? You know, you can't preach at work no more. You can't preach at the schools. In most cases, resistance means you're doing the right thing. (laughs) 
But boy, let me tell you something. When you're in the middle of all that resistance, it's hard to remember. You know what? This means I'm doing the right thing. But it means you're doing the right thing. Come on, somebody. If it's not God, the devil ain't upset. (laughs) The question is, is are you doing something that's actually threatening the enemy? (laughs) Sorry about that. That was a little hard. Protection and self-preservation is why most people quit. Here's a good saying for you. Fear and unbelief will cause you to sink into the same water you're already walking on. You remember what happened with Peter? Peter had faith to walk on the water. Peter's walking on the water. (laughs) What changed? His unbelief and self-preservation. What happened? He sank, on the, he sank into the same water he was already walking on. <laughs> you see, when you, when you let resistance stop you with your God burden and you let resistance make you stop or make you squelch back or make you walk in self-preservation, you're not just stopping in faith. You're actually sinking in the faith that you've already had built in your life. Amen. I love Nehemiah's response to this. Watch this, because he, as a Christian, you got to learn how to respond. You know, just I mean, listen. When you was running with the devil, you had some good comebacks. I mean, you could tell people off, right? You were pretty good at pride yourself in how you cuss people and tell them stuff, right? Well, you don't need to lose that. You still got an enemy. You just need to learn how to tell him something. Look at what Nehemiah says in in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. (laughs) We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. You better know what you're going to say before you get there. (laughs) Don't wait till the enemy rises up against you to come up with a good saying. Right? <laughs> you better know what you're gonna say before you get there. What did he tell that what did he tell his enemy? You have no right. What do you tell the devil when he comes against you? You have no legal right to stand on these grounds. You have no legal right to stop the work that God's given me to do. God will help me succeed. God, I am his servant, and we will. He's speaking faith right there. That is faith talk at its at its best. We will. Come on, somebody. So number one, faith starts with the word. Number two, faith always encounters resistance. Number three, faith is contagious. Ah, Faith is contagious, man. It's like the flu, right? I mean, listen, you get people that are like, how you doing? And what do you do? You're like, good. That's what we do now. You kind of give them a little elbow. Like it ain't going to travel from there to here to here. Right? So somebody. What do you do? You resist that, right? Why? Because it's contagious. Spreads like a wildfire. It's violent. Right? Faith is contagious. The whole chapter uh, 3 of Nehemiah talks about, it actually lists all the people that helped rebuild the wall. It doesn't just give their names. It starts talking about which wall they jumped into. So Nehemiah has this burden. He steps out, gets permission from the king. He goes to Jerusalem and he starts doing some investigating at night. He's inspecting the walls, all these things. And all of a sudden, all these people start coming. And they start jumping in with him. It didn't say he did a nine-month recruiting program. It didn't say he did a mass email or a mass mailer to get a bunch of people to come out volunteer to rebuild the wall. He just stepped out and did it. And you know what? God led those people to come help him. And those people stepped out of themselves and helped him rebuild the wall. His faith was contagious. Weak faith isn't contagious. But let me tell you what else is contagious. Fear is contagious. Here's the thing. If faith and fear are both contagious, which one are you hanging out with? 
Have you surrounded yourself with a bunch of negative people? Do you have friends that have faith? Are you associating with other believers and spending time with them that have faith? Come on, that's why we do church on Sundays. That's why we do church on Wednesdays. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have the herd meetings for men. You know why? It's not because I just want to do more stuff. It's because I want to create an environment where people can get next to other people that have faith. Right? Why? Because it's contagious. I want you to get contaminated with faith. You can't do this Christian walk alone. You got to get around some people with faith. It's contagious. Is your faith causing people around you to get infected? Number four, final point, faith fights back and presses on. So faith starts with the word. Faith always encounters resistance. Faith is contagious and faith fights back and presses on. Watch what happens with Nehemiah. He, he goes and he starts rebuilding this wall. Remember Sanballat? And Tobiah, those guys, they start, they start hurling threats at him. They start threatening to come and kill him. They're going to destroy him. They're going to come to war against him. They're going to come while he's most vulnerable trying to rebuild the wall. Right? And all these things. So they make this great threat. They start writing him letters and all these things. And, and Nehemiah actually had some people inside the Jerusalem that were reporting back to these guys. So he had some, some moles. <laughs> if you won't call them, in, in, his little, in his little group of workers. And so he's rebuilding the wall, and he's getting threatened with resistance and war. Watch what happens. Does he stop? Nehemiah 4, 16, 18. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held, held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. If you're going to build something for God, it's going to take more than a hammer. It's going to take a sword too. Get this. Half the workers had to now become guards. The rest of the workers who were working were working with a spear in one a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. Right? Kind of makes me want to feel sorry for them, right? But you can't. Why? Because they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. It's the same thing God's calling us to do today. Listen to me. When you're walking where God wants you to walk, you're going to have to go with a a sword and a hammer. If you think you can just go with a hammer, you're fooled. You're going to have to fight. And if you haven't been fighting, then maybe you're not doing what you need to be doing. Sorry about that. But it's just the truth. You know how I know? Because there's times in my life where I want to put my sword down. And I don't want to fight anymore. Lord, I just want to go build something. Lord, can you, can you just, can I just take it easy for a little while, Lord? Lord, can I, can I just put my sword down? Lord, can I quit reading my Bible? Lord, can I quit hanging around people of faith? Lord, can I quit going to church? You know, that church thing is just not important to me. Lord, can I quit trusting you? Lord, can you quit calling me to step out? Lord, can I get out of the battle for a little while? They built with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. You were designed that way. 
when God created you in your mother's womb, he created you to fight and build at the same time. He created you to go the distance. He created you to stand against the enemy. Not run from him, but stand against him. You're made to fight and build. Sometimes we get so caught up in the fight that we forget to build. And then on the other hand, sometimes we get so caught up in building that we forget to fight. Right? These guys couldn't. You know why? Because the enemy was coming. The enemy was threatening. The enemy was pressing against them. They were facing resistance. They knew that at any moment, any second, the enemy was going to come. But they couldn't stop building. Why couldn't they stop building? Because that's what God wanted them to build. That's where their security was going to be found. That's where they were going to thrive. That's where God was going to rebuild and multiply his people. God wants to multiply your family. And you got to keep building and you got to keep fighting. Because as soon as you put the sword down, the enemy comes. And as soon as you put the hammer down, the enemy comes. We got to get the wall built. We got to get the gates up. But man, the enemy's coming. Let me tell you something. There's a real devil. And he really don't like you, but you don't need to take it personal. He's not mad at you. He's mad at God. But his only way to get at God is to get you. And his goal every single day of the week is to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your family, your next generations, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. He wants to destroy them all. He wants to get you so scared that you put your hammer down and you quit building your life and you quit sowing seeds and you quit going forward. That's what he wants. He wants you to quit building. Don't quit building. Don't ever stop building. You got to respond like Nehemiah. You have no authority over me. Get out my way. Listen, the other day, I'm at my house. I just love the way these stories happen. I'm at my house. And we're currently trying to move to Jennings. And we've been facing, I mean, move to Eunice, sorry. <laughs> Wrenching the spoke. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> My wife was like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> we're currently trying to move into the city. We're trying to move to Eunice, okay? And ever since we made up our mind to move to Eunice, we've been facing resistance. We've been facing resistance, but God is blessing at the same time. House is already sold. Four hours after I put the for sale sign up, the guy calls. Oh, broke down looking sign. I had to spray paint the last thing I sold and put my number on there. And the guy calls four hours after I put this. I praise God. Done. Going to give us six months to build our house. And then they're going to buy our house. I couldn't have planned it any better. I'm trying to leave my house to come to Eunice and start building the foundation for our new house. And I'm in a hurry, but I got these pigs I'm trying to sell. It's always pigs. And so this guy calls me. I mean, the kids are in the truck. I'm walking out the door. The guy calls and says, hey, man, I want to come see your pigs. Uh, I'm 15 minutes away. Uh, okay, I'll wait for you. So I'm standing by the gate. The kids are waiting. I'm looking at my animals. I look over towards my pond, and I see somebody parked by my pond. And I get people that stop all the time and take pictures of, the, of my swamp. And I don't say anything to those people. They're just taking pictures. They're not trying to come get my fish or anything else. So I, I didn't think too much about it. I just kind of glanced. I look back at my animals and I'm doing my thing. And I look back over there. And one of them is down in the water. And two of them are walking down the levee. And there's just something inside of me that rolls up all of a sudden. Like my blood pressure. And the Holy Spirit started praying in tongues for me. And I could feel the wind of the angels coming. And I started marching across the yard. First thing I did was I let out this big old yell. Aye! 
Well, all that did was speed them up. I'm about five acres from them. And I'm in bad shape. So I take off walking. I'm going. I'm, the, the whole time this guy is supposed to be coming, all right? So I'm walking. I'm like, oh, no, these people trespassing. Oh, heck no. This ain't happening in my place. You got to be crazy. I'm going off in my head, all right? And so, man, this first guy that's down at the water, he pulls a trap out my water. Another level. Oh, hold up. You ain't trapping in my yard. What, were you crazy? Well, he gets scared. Somebody else turns the truck around. They're like in the, the, the run position. He throws the trap in the back of the boat. This big old woman gets out. She goes on the passenger side. This little skinny man that pulled the trap out. He gets in the driver's seat. I'm like, well, I still got two down the levee. I'm going to catch them sap suckers. So I'm like, I'm walking. I'm going. My heart. And these other two coming. So by this time, the guy that's coming looking at my pigs, he pulls up with his window down and sees this big bald-headed guy marching across the yard, hollering at people. He goes, he puts two and two together. Thank God. He says, he backs his truck out, takes off down the road. He goes, he pulls his window down. He goes, hey, you want me to stop him? I was like, yeah, stop him. I was like, oh, this is good. So he pulls his, his F-250 in front of this Chevrolet pickup truck. And he stops the guy. And the guy rolls down and he goes, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. The guy goes, you want me to let him go? I said, yeah, let him go. The guy pulls up right down the side of the road. And I'm mad. I ain't been this mad in a long time. I walk up to that truck and I give this guy the what for. He goes, man, ain't nothing but some old yellow belly turtles. I'll, I'll put them back. I said, Brian, ain't about the turtles. I said, you own my property and you don't belong to this property. I pay the taxes on this property. I pay the note on this property. You don't belong here. Are you feeling me? He was feeling me. <laughs> I'll throw them back, man. I'll throw them. I said, no, I don't want you to throw them back. I just want you to leave and never, ever come back. And brrr, he took off. I pulled my phone out. I didn't have time to get my camera, but I was acting like I was catching pictures of his <laughs> license plate, you know, just to make sure he wouldn't come back. And I walked on. When the enemy comes against you, are you going to let him trap in your pond? Are you going to let him take your goods? Are you going to stand by and watch him come after your kids? Are you going to tolerate that? Are you not going to pay enough attention to see that the enemy's coming against your family? Coming against your calling? Men, are you watching your marriage close enough to see if somebody else is trespassing? Don't you let the devil come on your property. He don't have permission. You see, a good, person's come, a good person comes up to the front door and asks permission. A thief comes from the back and sneaks in. Don't you dare. You're the church that God's trusted me with. And I'm telling you right now, don't you dare let the enemy steal something from you. Don't let him destroy nothing in your family. Don't let him kill the dreams that God's placed in your heart and in your kid's heart. Don't let him do it. You better stand up. Your blood pressure better get up. Come on. We spend too much time getting mad at each other, not enough time getting mad at the devil. Amen? Faith fights back and it presses on. It presses on. It doesn't quit. It doesn't quit. You're not designed to quit. You're not made to quit. Your emotions, your feelings, your heart, your fulfillment, it doesn't get any better when you quit. It only gets worse. Quit was not a part that God placed in you when he designed you. Amen? Pastor, what are you asking me to do? Very simple. I'm asking you to fight and build at the same time. 
I want you to fight fear, unbelief, and resistance. And I want you to build God's kingdom. What does that mean, Pastor? Very simply, this is what I want you to do. I want you to reach the lost. I want you to take care of your family. And I want you to give sacrificially. Give what, Pastor? Time, talent, and treasure. That's all I want. Time, talent, and treasure. Amen? That's all I want you to do is do that. Can you stand up with me this morning? I want to pray for you. When is the last time you did something crazy for God? Have you started with the word? Did you let resistance push you back to self-preservation? Have you prioritized being around people with faith? I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to close your eyes. Everybody right now, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, man, that was good. Pastor, I needed to hear that. But you know what, Pastor? I, I, I don't know if I've got a relationship with Jesus. If that's you and you want a relationship with Jesus, you've never given your heart to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Nobody's looking. Just raise, I see you. I raise your hand real high right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand right now. Just real quick. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to see you because we're going to pray. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Right now, if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just raise your hand right now. Thank you, Lord. I want you to pray this prayer with me real quick. Father, Lord, I come to you today. I need you, Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. I give you control of my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And that you set me free from sin, sickness, and disease. I receive you, Jesus. Thank you for receiving me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you've let resistance stop you. If you've accepted the excuses that the enemy's given you. If you, for some reason or another, lost hope and lost vision and lost dreams and you just quit, listen to me, that's okay. If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. If you find yourself in that spot today, real high, just raise your hand. I want to be able to see you. I see you. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. I want you to pray this with me this morning. Father, forgive me for stopping. Lord, I realize now the enemy has no authority. I have your authority. And there's nothing that can stop me from doing what you've called me to do. Lord, I want to press on. Forgive me for stopping, but ignite me to go further. Thank you, Jesus, for this burden you've given me for the lost and for whatever other burden he's given you. Lord, I bless you. And I thank you for these great people, Father. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I know your word says that you're pleased by faith and that when we're unfaithful or we're faithless, Lord, I know that you're not pleased with us. But, Father, that doesn't mean that you, you stop loving us. That doesn't mean that you're not still hoping we stand up. That doesn't mean that you're not still pulling for us and all of heaven is rejoicing for us. Lord, it means that, that, Father, you're waiting for us to stand up and to move forward again. And, Lord, you're going to breathe upon us and you're going to give us energy and you're going to give us strength and boldness, and courage, and tenacity, and faith, Lord. Help us to be people of your word, people that put your word. We hide it in our hearts so that, Lord, when we need it, it's like a secret weapon. We use it. It's like a specialty tool that we can fix the things that come in front of us, Lord. Father, use us. Use us, Lord. We want to see the lost get found. We want to see the dead come to life. We want to see the healed, the broken healed. 
and the hurt and the wounded healed. We want to see the captive set free. Lord, we want to see the, the molested be healed. Lord, we want to see the addicted set free. Lord, we want to see those with mental illness set free. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see children's relationships with their parents restored. We want to see dreams and visions and futures restored, Lord. So, Father, use us. Say this with me, church. Say, use me, God. You better mean that. Say it, say it again. Say, use me, God. Use me, God. I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Use me, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look at me. It's my wife's favorite word. Look at me. That's when you know you're in trouble. Look at me. I only want the best for you. Amen. I love you. I believe in you. I believe you're greater than you know. I believe in you. And I love you. Every one of you. Amen. Grab a quick seat. I want to receive tithes and offerings real quick and make a few announcements. You'll notice that under the seat or maybe on the seat, there is a reach envelope. I want you to pick that envelope up real quick. You have a reach envelope. Looks like this right here. You should have one of these. Everybody got it. When you got it, just kind of hold it up real quick. Let me see you got it. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I want to do this one time. This is a reach envelope. You say, well, Pastor, what's reach? I'm about to explain it to you. We're going to get to the chicken in a minute. (laughs) Next weekend is reach weekend. You say, well, Pastor, what's reach? Reach is a three-year financial campaign, campaign that we jumped into to build some things that we need to build for our churches, all three campuses. The first goal was to to plant Crowley. We've done that. But Crowley's still living off the reach money right now. Crowley's getting better and better every week. God is breathing on Crowley. Great things are happening in Crowley. Amen. Listen to me. That all happened because you gave sacrificially. You gave above your tithe and your offering. You hearing me? So what we're doing is we're making a push for next weekend. We've got a couple of goals. Jennings needs to get some things started for their reach uh, building, their reach center. And we need to get some things started here. We've got some audio, video, lighting stuff. We need to start, we need to start re- remodeling some things, redoing some things. There, there's some things that are really out of whack. Those guys are doing a phenomenal job, by the way, of using some of this equipment. <laughs> Super Doug's done a great job of building the team back there, and I appreciate you, brother. And so our reach goal is $10,000 by next weekend. We're, we're roughly at $1,000 right now. We've got a long way to go in one week. Amen. But that's our goal is to raise $10,000 by next weekend. What am I asking you to do? I'm not asking you to give above your reach commitment. I'm asking you to give towards your reach commitment. You follow me? So some of you here have made commitments. Now, others of you are here and you're new to the church and you've become a part and you kind of came in after we launched the reach campaign And so what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to join us in this journey, okay? So next week on Reach Weekend, we're going to have a two-year commitment card that I'm going to ask you if you're not a part of the Reach campaign, the Reach project right now, that you can jump in and say, Pastor, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll make a commitment. Okay, So, so why are you giving me this envelope, Pastor? Because I want you to take something home with you, and this is all I'm asking you to do. Very simple. And listen, if you don't do nothing... I still love you, okay? This ain't about whether or not Pastor Jamie loves you. I'm asking you to come on a journey with us. I'm asking you to take this home, and I'm asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to say, God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to commit, right? 
So next weekend, rehash it one more time. Next weekend's Reach Weekend. We're going to take up an offering, a special offering. I'm asking you to give towards your commitment, not anything above or beyond unless God leads you, okay? And for those of you that want to join us on the journey, you can turn in your commitment card next week. Is this clear? Everybody's good? Understand? So if you've already a part, if you're already a part of this three-year commitment, you don't have to do anything else. Okay? You don't have to recommit. You don't have to, unless God leads you to. Amen? So that's what I want you to do towards reach. And so we're doing that next weekend. Uh, Jennings is, is, we've made preparations to, to break ground and, and start getting some things going there. They're, they're currently out of children's space, like legitimately out of children's space. Kids are stacking on top of each other. <laughs> Praise God. Because you only got two choices in that moment. Either you quit having babies or you build another building. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to build another building, right? So, so here we need to remodel some things and we need to get ready for the future, going multiple services and those kinds of things. And so that's what I have for you today. And I appreciate those of you that are giving because, listen to me, what you're giving towards, what your sacrifice is building the kingdom of God. There's roughly 170 people now in Crowley that didn't know Jesus before we planted the church in Crowley. And you had everything to do with that. Amen. A couple of quick announcements before we get to the.